We are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we're reading in, in Matthew chapter 18, reading from verse 12. I'm sorry, we're going to, yeah, Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. So formerly what we had read was we, we, we read about stumbling blocks. And the things that would happen to people who were stumbling blocks to those little ones that God loves. But now we see in verse 12 through 14, God's compassion for those who are lost. God's compassion for those who are wandering. So in Matthew 12, Matthew 18 verse 12, it, said, it talks about this sheep, this sheep that has gone astray. And he searches for it. And so the man has a hundred sheep. One goes astray, and his heart is just on that one that goes astray. I can tell you, as a father, when you have multiple children, your mind will spend most of its capacity on the child of yours that is struggling. So say you have four children, and one of the children at one particular time isn't doing well. Your mind will always be on that one. And... uh, uh, That is just the heart of a parent. That is the heart of a father. And what he's describing to us is God's heart toward those that are lost. You would think that God says, oh, well, I've got plenty of people that follow me. I I don't worry about that one. No. His heart is like the heart of a father. Looking after that one, and it says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him, upon Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it's speaking of the coming Messiah. That all of us have this this tendency to go astray. And God has caused this iniquity of ours to fall on, on Jesus. Remember this portion in 12 through 14 as I as we we learn about this next portion. The next portion is talking about discipline. Discipline in the church. But remember this portion. God's heart is for the individual. God's heart is for the one that is straying. Now let's read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is the second time in the Gospels that the church is mentioned. The first time the church was mentioned uh, uh, 
it was mentioned in the universal church, that God was going to build His church. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 16, and in fact, this is the only of the four Gospels that mentions the church. First time was in Matthew chapter 16, and now in Matthew chapter 18, he's talking about the local church, the ones that do deal with, with people individually, not the grand church worldwide in the sense that there's, there's no connectivity, or there's little connectivity to the individual. This is the local church he's talking about. But he says in verse, in verse 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So this is, this is what, what the instruction is. If one is sinning, if you see somebody committing sin, and they are a brother or a sister in Christ, we are obliged. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him. It doesn't say, you know, if you feel like it. Now, if there's some sort of relationship, Sometimes we don't know an individual. But if there's some sort of relationship, you can go to them. And in fact, we are obliged to go to them. And it says we're obliged to point something out. Now, in pointing something out, it is good to learn how to point something out. And I learned this the hard way. I went to somebody and pointed out one of their problems. And then they explained to me more fully that I was only seeing a very small part. And when it was explained to me more fully... I was the one who needed correction, not this individual. So, so to approach them and to say, can I ask you, why are you doing that sort of thing? Because then you can come to them and present them with something. And then they may say, oh, well, I'm doing it because of such and such. And then you can, you, you can assess whether they have it right or they don't, but it, we are obliged to do this, and we're obliged to do this individually, not in the presence of going and telling a bunch of other people and then doing it. It is not wrong to go to church authority, to go so, to some other authority and say, you know, this individual's doing that, such and such. I think it's wrong. What do you think? And you say, well, I, you know, I might say, yeah, here's some scriptures where it says it's wrong. You might want to talk to them. So, to even check it out, that's not wrong in, in that you're not trying to spread something, you're just trying to reconfirm. But he says, go to them individually. Now, personally, when I see a young woman going the wrong way, what I do is I often go with my wife to that, to that young lady. Because, because, you know, the scriptures say that the husband and wife are one, so <laughs> we are one in that regard. But it really makes it easier to deal with certain situations. Sometimes I will just send Shireen to, to talk to that person. But sometimes Shireen is, is too nice. It just, you, you know, it just never, never comes forth that there's a real problem here. You know, she just wants to get to know the individual and hug them and everything. And I just want to you know, deal with the situation. But to go to them, there's, there's an obligation to go to them. But then it says in verse 16, But if he does not listen to you, Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so if, if you go to a person and they don't respond, we are obliged. Again, this is not, oh, well, I want to. We have an obligation 
to go and take another person with us because this goes back to the fact that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be confirmed, go in to talk with them. If they listen to you, you've won your brother. And then it says, if he refuses to listen, then you go to the church. And, that, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be, be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, many people read this and it means absolutely nothing. Because there's very little accountability to a local body of Christ. In many believers' lives. The pastor of this church, Pastor Roger, he is a friend of mine. I've known him since he was in his mid-twenties. He is a friend of mine. I knew him when he was the youth pastor. We've had lunch together many times. We've done things together. When he calls my office, or his secretary calls and says, uh, uh, Pastor Roger would like to speak with you. Did you know my heart jumps a little bit? It really does. Because I have such respect for the authority of the church, I right away say, say have I done something wrong? I do. Have I done something wrong? Have I said something I shouldn't? Because I so respect the body of Christ. I want people speaking into my life. I have gone to older believers and asked them, please speak into my life. You may say, nobody speaks in my life. I do whatever I want. Fine. I need somebody to speak into my life. And what happens is, you hit a certain level, and a lot of times there's not many people there who are going to speak into your life. I want church authority in my life, and I take this very seriously. So if a brother or a sister were to come to me and to point out something that they think that I'm sinning in, I, would re- I really want to evaluate this because I don't want it to work its way up to the church. I really don't. Now, people have come to me and said things and I've disagreed with them. You know, I've said, here's the scriptures I'm going on. You know, if this bothers you, you're going to have to show me in the Bible where it's a sin to do this. Some people were very bothered that I eat meat. Right? And I know this sounds odd to some of you, but some people think that somebody in my position who really loves God like I love God shouldn't eat meat. So they came and they presented, and then I could show them, I don't agree with you, here's the scripture verses where I don't agree with you. And I didn't worry about that filtering up to the church and then back down to me, because Roger eats more meat than I do. But I want people to speak into my life. So I've gone to older believers and, I say, and I've told them, if you see something going on in my life, speak it into my life. Let me know. And the scripture says, if the person doesn't listen, you go back with another person or, or two other people. Not, not, you know, a whole class. You go back with one or two other people and you present it again. And if they still don't listen... You present it to the church and let the church deal with it. And if they don't listen to the church, they're to be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector, which in Jewish terms meant that you had, they were disfellowshipped. You had no relations with that person in fellowship. I mean, you could share the gospel with them, but there's no relation in fellowship. They're not coming over your home and, and, and doing this sort of thing when the church has separated from them it, it's, it's, it's very much like a formal excommunication. And I've seen this happen. Let, let's, let's look in the scriptures for an example of this. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 6. So he's instructing them by a letter. And he's writing to them and he says, Your boasting is not good, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? And in the scriptures, leaven always spoke of sin. Verse 7, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven. Um, Let me start reading up in verse 3 actually. Let me start reading up in verse 3. Um, uh, I'm sorry, verse, five, verse 1. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind does not even exist among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I... On my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, I with you in spirit and with power of our Lord Jesus. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So, what is happening in that church? You, have you ever been in a church that had problems and you think, oh, I can't be part of this church. It's, there's problems in that church. It's not a real church. You read about the church in Corinth. In fact, you read about almost every church that's talked about in the Bible. You read in the book of Revelation about the different churches that Jesus confronted. I mean, to be in a church is like in a family. Junk comes up in any family. In the best of families, in this church, there was a man sleeping with his father's wife. So he was sleeping with his stepmother. Even in this generation, 2,000 years later, we would say, that's not good. Right? <laughs> Even though we were so permissive with so many things, we all agree that that's, that's probably not a good thing. And he says, this man is in your church and you're not dealing with him. You've got to deal with him. The body of Christ has to deal with that individual. And he says, this is the apostle speaking. He said in verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. In other words, he's not going to lose his salvation. He's good to go as far as salvation. But Paul said, I've turned him over to Satan for his flesh to be destroyed. The believer is not generally under the control of Satan for their life. In this case, he's been turned over to Satan, and Satan will control this man's life when he lives and when he dies. His soul will be saved. Satan can't touch his soul. But he has been turned over to Satan because he was excommunicated by that church. He was disfellowshipped as proclaimed by Paul. It was a very serious thing. He said, I shouldn't have to do this. The local church there in Corinth should have done this. You can't let this thing go on. Now, just to show you the power of the church, if you if you turn to to first second Corinthians chapter two, second Corinthians chapter two. So in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in chapter two, they actually actually dealt with that problem. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if you start reading from verse 5. 2 Corinthians 2, 5. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for the one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him, otherwise such one may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So, in other words, the church in Corinth did deal with that man, and it became so severe that that man was wanting to come back. And Paul said, welcome him back now. He's repented. Bring him back. Bring him back. But what I'm trying to display to you is how intense it really is when the church proclaims something over somebody. And you think, well, does this happen today? It absolutely does happen. There was a time when, when, when a, a, a student, a student that was in this class, was doing some things wrong and, and, and uh, was spreading false information about people that was really quite severe. And I tried to speak with that student, and that student would have nothing to do with it. Shireen and I tried to speak with that student, that student would have nothing to do with it. And I came and I explained to Roger, Roger tried to speak with that student, and I saw the email discourse between Roger and that student, and Roger just said, "Um, not going to happen here. You are not welcome around Westview Baptist Church or around Cross Point until you repent. You are not to come here anymore. Now, that was not his first thing. He actually told the student, I will pay. He said, the church will pay for you ten sessions of counseling if that's what you think, if that's what's needed. We will do that. He offered so much, and that student just bit him right back. And so he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And you think, oh, well, they'll just find another church. Uh Uh-uh. They can go find another church. But when that has been proclaimed over an individual, I am telling you, it is very severe. That opens the door for Satan to have their way with that individual. You think, oh, he's overdoing it. I watched that student. That student looked like they got filled with the devil. That student... The way they they would walk, the way that they would talk, the way that they would act, the way that they were snaking around. I mean, it was just disgusting. Because I would see that student around campus. It is a severe thing to come to that point where the church has to deal with it. But the church did exactly what they were supposed to do. Because Paul reproved the church of Corinth for not dealing with situations. And you say, well... I don't think the church even knows me. That's your problem. That is your problem. If the church has no knowledge of you, that is your problem. Now, that individual had come forward at one point, several years earlier, and become a member of this church. You think, well, I'll solve that. I just won't become a member. That doesn't solve the problem. Now, there's nobody to speak into your life. You say, well, the church just wants my money. Trust me, your $5 a week will do very little for this church. All right? So they don't, they're not looking for your money. You give because it's good for you to give, so that you learn to give something. I would feel like a thief if I came to this church without giving my tithe here. After what they have poured into my life, into my children's lives, into my wife's life, I would be a criminal 
to be taking of this and not participating. But that's up to you. That's another issue. That's an issue for another day. I have seen lots of students come and join this church. I've seen people join this church in a disingenuous way. You say, how? Well, for example, this church will pay for its members to go on mission trips, to go on the mission field. And so students are going to go off, say, with, with uh, crew or with Agape to, say, East Asia. They need to raise $3,000 for the summer. Well, this church is very gracious. A member of this church could go to the missions committee and talk about what they're going to do. And the missions committee is very generous. They may give them $500 or $1,000. You know, really give them a hefty portion to go on this trip. So I have seen students want to go on a mission trip having trouble raising money. They've sat in the class for two years and all of a sudden they realize what they can do. So they go and they join the church. And then the next week they're in front of the mission committee. That's what I would say is disingenuous. Would you agree with me? Isn't that a little... That, that's, would God look favorably on that? Where the church each week comes and says, you know, you can join this church. This church, my problem with the whole membership in this church is it's too easy. All you've got to do is walk forward and fill out a form. On Sunday morning, you walk forward and you fill out a form and you say, I've been baptized, I've not been baptized. If you've not been baptized, get baptized. Because you don't want to go on a mission field without being baptized. That's for sure. You don't want to continue not walking in baptism. You say, well, that's kind of embarrassing. Well, be embarrassed. Go up there and stand for Jesus and get baptized. But even this church has a watch care membership where you just walk up and you can maintain your membership in your home local church. This is just, and you say, well, why do they do this? Because they want to know who they're related to. They want to pray for you. There has to be something there. They can't just go and, and proclaim a disfellowship to somebody who's never even become a part of the fellowship, never recognized a part. But when you're recognized as a part, don't you see there's this covering of the body of Christ over you? When we move into a new town, personally as a family, we have never left a church when we've lived in a town. We've started with a church and we've continued with it. But when we move into a new town, the first thing we do is Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, we're going to churches to check them out. And very quickly, we can find a church. Because I want the covering of the body of Christ. And I'm saving up my tithe from those weeks to know where I'm going to dump it in. Because I want the covering of the body of Christ. There's this protection in the body of Christ. I want people speaking into my life. I need this. And you don't avoid this by just saying, oh, well, I'll go to another church. You know, you're upset with me? This fellow's fine. I'll go to another church. It doesn't work that way. This same pattern will follow you. It's a whole thing of obedience. Look at the connectivity here. And then he goes on. In, so, so he says, he says that, that if he refuses to listen in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. There's a separation. And remember what happens is, is really strong here. Now in verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This verse has been taken out of context by so many. This has nothing to do with binding Satan. The whole context of this was in church discipline. 
when those people get with the church and share this, and now in church discipline, in church discipline, they deal with an issue. This thing has been bound on earth. God said, boom, it's bound in heaven. That local church has made this step. It's bound in heaven. This person has been turned over to Satan. It is a serious thing. You watch a man who has rebelled from the authority of the church. You watch him. His whole family will fall apart. His wife will start rebelling from him. His children will start rebelling from out of him, out, out, out from under him. And I have had these men come to me and say, what's going on? My family's falling apart. I said, it's you. This is what's going on. It is you. You have left the covering of the body of Christ and thought this has nothing over you. You've left the covering of the body of Christ and now your wife no longer respects your authority, your children no longer respect your authority, and your whole life is going to fall apart, and you will see at work, things are going to fall apart for you too. He says, well, they, they already are. Yeah, it's going to happen that way. He says, whatever has been bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. The Bible doesn't say you go and you bind Satan. If people want to pray binding Satan, that is fine. But, the Bible says you resist Satan, and he will flee from you. You resist him. If we could really just bind him up just by praying a prayer, why don't we all get together and just banish him from the universe? Let me do it. Who, who keeps coming behind us and then loosing him? This, the context of this, has nothing to do with the binding of Satan. It has to do with what's been bound on earth is bound in heaven. Now, verse 19. And again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. What two or three? The same two or three that he talked about in verse number 16. The same two or three. When you guys get together, after you've talked with somebody and said, you know, the way you're going is wrong. When you pray about this, God said, I am sure to deal with it. If this had to do with every time two or three two believers get together... Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't two of us get together, we'll go over to MD Anderson and we'll pray for everybody and they'll come out of the hospital. Because we agreed on it. Because when we take the verse out of context, then we have to say the word of God is a lie. Because two of us agreed that this person would would get better and we prayed for them and they didn't get better. I'm not trying to release you to... to, uh, uh, to hurt you in your prayer life. I'm just trying to say, this is, if we, if we take a verse out of context, and two of us meet together and we pray for the person, the person doesn't get well, but they get worse and they die, which if you go to MD Anderson, happens all the time, then I would look at you and think, well, you didn't have enough faith. Or I'd look at myself and think, well, I didn't have enough faith. And that's why. It had nothing to do with it. You guys certainly had a muster seed of faith to hold hands together and go over there and pray. I mean, that was certainly more faith that was exercised in the Gospels when Jesus said, you've got to have faith. Remember the man said, I have faith, but help my unbelief. Jesus said, that's good enough. Boom. He healed his son. I mean, it didn't take much. This is in the context of when those two or three who went and spoke to that person and confronted them in their sin, when that person said, forget you guys. It's none of your business. This is my life. When you guys get together and pray about that, Oh, boy, I feel sorry for the person who rejected you. Go and turn it over to the church. I feel sorry for the person who rejects the church. This is how serious this is. And that's what we see as the pattern in the Scriptures. 
in 1 Corinthians where we see, Paul said, I turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his body. Why? Because Paul doesn't care about him? Paul cares so much about him that he said, when he saw the discipline came upon the guy, the guy was trying to repent, he says, bring him back in. Bring him back in. It's time to bring him in. Don't let this thing continue. If that student had ever come and had ever repented, it would have gone very well for them. The whole life would have changed. But this is serious business. That in the church of Christ. So what do you do? What's the outcome? I will tell you the outcome. If you're not in submission to a local body of Christ, you ought to be. You say, well, this isn't the church for me. Well, find a church for you where you feel that you are instructed in the Word of God where you feel that you are encouraged in the Word of God, and where you can participate and give something of yourself and of your life. If this is the body of Christ for you, then come under submission to the body of Christ. Some churches have a much more formal joining. You've got to sit through six months of new member classes. That's not necessarily bad to have a high barrier, but this church doesn't do it. You just walk forward. At the end of a service, and there's a call. Every one of our services. And you go out and you fill out a form. And if you've not been baptized, be baptized. Follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. We are commanded to be baptized. Walk in it. When, as we obey, there is more that is placed into our lives. And so much happens as a result of this. As, it, as, as things come in, in relation to the body of Christ. As we give our hearts in these sort of things. This is church discipline. And we have this tendency... This tendency to slip back into the world and to think that it really does nothing. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Friends with the world, if you want to be friends with the world, you are at enmity with God, in James 4, 4. Did you not know that those who are friends with the world are at enmity with God? That doesn't mean that you can't have a friend. It means that when you partake with them. And, and, and the scriptures talk about this. It talks about this in... in, in, in uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, it talks about doing the very deeds that they do. When you get brought into that, boy, it's it's real problem. Real problem. And it encourages us as believers to go and encouragingly talk to the other person. Talk to them. And if they don't listen, it is a serious thing. This is why I love to see people come back to the Lord. I love to see them drawn back. And this is what God has for us in Matthew. This is why He... He spoke this other portion. He says, you know, my heart, God says, is on that one who's struggling. God hasn't forgotten them. He says, I think more about them than the 99 that are doing okay. Because that's the heart of a parent. Because if you have multiple children, you know what I'm talking about. Your heart, your mind, your thoughts are always on that one who is struggling. Saying, I, I I want him doing better. I want him happier. I want him doing better. That's the heart of our Father. That's the encompassing of church discipline, of submission to the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. You are so good. Thank you, my Father. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to walk into submission, walk in submission in the local body of Christ, wherever you have placed them. And not just here, but as they go throughout their lives. As they go throughout their lives and 
wanting to walk with you. Father, I pray that you lead them to the right churches that they would be parts of. And Father, that you would, you would so teach them to learn to walk in obedience to the local body of Christ. Father, I pray that you'd teach them to speak into other people's lives and be open to having other people speak into their lives. Father, that they would not harden their hearts. Lord, I pray that you speak to their hearts, that their hearts would not be hardened. Let them remain in a place of openness. For Father, I I pray that they never have to be released into a place where Satan has control over them again. Father, I pray that they could they could be in a place to hear from you and have the covering and the blessing that comes by being in the body of Christ. Protect them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.